and welcome to the Tasty Brew Music Podcast. I'm Diana Lynn. After a 40-year career in corporate America, I took a huge U-turn and became a volunteer DJ on 90.1 FM KKFI, Kansas City Community Radio. Since 2010, I've been the host, programmer, and engineer of a weekly Americana Roots music show, The Tasty Brew. With this podcast, I'll be sharing conversations with artists and music industry insiders with the goal of entertaining and educating the listening audience, all while giving a voice to the music makers that are underserved or ignored by mainstream media. This episode of the Tasty Boo Music Podcast features a conversation with storyteller and song catcher Kelly Hunt. The daughter of an opera singer and a world-traveling saxophone-playing airline pilot, Kelly was raised in Memphis, Tennessee, and grew up performing other people's works through piano lessons, singing in choirs, and performing theater. During her teenage years, influenced by musical inspirations as diverse as Nora Jones, Rachmaninoff, and John Denver, she began writing her own songs on the piano. Introduced to the banjo in college while studying French and visual arts, Kelly began developing her own improvised style of playing, combining old-time picking styles with the percussive origins of the instrument. After college, Hunt rambled through short careers in acting, graphic design, traditional French bread making, and medicine, all the while privately making music. I met Kelly shortly after her move to Kansas City and her discovery and subsequent acquisition of the mysterious Depression-era tenor banjo she has named Ira. In short order, I invited Kelly onto my Tasty Boom Music radio show, where she has become a regular fixture. It has been an honor and a privilege to get to know this young woman as she navigates the lyrical life she has chosen. Her inaugural effort, Even the Sparrow, produced by Hunt and Kelly Wurtz, has garnered critical acclaim from the likes of Rolling Stone, No Depression, and Americana UK, and many others, and includes her friend and talented musical partner, Stash Haney. Kelly is well-read and well-spoken. I recently welcomed her to my home one morning where we sat down and talked about a wide range of subjects. I hope you enjoy this conversation and musical interlude with banjo Kelly Hunt. You're a dream subject, really, because you ask you a question and you answer it. <laughs> I have a lot of thoughts. Thoughtfully. And, and so uh, what I'm trying to accomplish with these conversations with you and others like you is just to be able to communicate with your audience beyond the songs. Mm-hmm. There's so much, I think, that is that is impressed upon the songs by the people that listen to them. You know, they kind of garner them into their own world and, mm-hmm. and take whatever they want out of them. But I think it's it's fun and helpful to know a little bit about the person behind the songs. So um, one of the assumptions that I've made about you is that you are well-read because you're well-spoken. Mm-hmm. So literature, was that a big part of your growing up? Were there, I know there was music in your house. There was music in my house, but uh, yeah, I loved books from a young age. And um, that was really something my mother instilled in me. I'm a lot like my mom in terms of sort of just my the things I gravitate to naturally. She, when she went to college, she first wanted to be a writer. And then she decided to study voice and pursued music instead. And I really started writing poetry before I started writing music. I was, I was fascinated by words. And, um, did you keep that early work? Yes, I have. Or did you do what Sarah did and throw it all out? <laughs> no, I have this, uh, neon green folder. That's like one of those accordion folders, um, that I've had since I was in probably third grade and it has all of my poems from elementary school. I would just stuff them inside this uh, big green envelope. And so I still have that somewhere. Do you refer Um, to them from time to time? I think I pulled it out, not for lyrics, but I think I pulled it out. I found it a couple years ago when I was cleaning through my closet and trying to get rid of stuff at my room back home in Tennessee. And I found that folder and there are some just rich little nuggets in there. I mean, not good poems, but just really trying to just really getting a feel for verse and like meter and rhyme schemes. And it's very elemental. Um, but I was definitely figuring those things out, you know, as a, 
kind of seven-year-old on exploring words and how they fit together and, and like having a concept for a poem and then, you know, carrying that narrative thread from beginning to end. I was developing, um, my mind in that way, just, and it was very natural to do that. So I was kind of drawn to words and music separately. And then they kind of started fusing together. Um, probably, I mean, I remember writing little ditties like off off the cuff ditties, um, that I never recorded or remembered. They'd just come and go. And then I think I started making my first sort of concerted efforts to write songs, um, when I was probably nine or 10. And I, I'd, uh, I remember writing it out on notebook paper, just the words and the melody I would just have in my head and then, you know, performing it for the family or something. I'm surprised at how often I hear that poetry came first mm-hmm. and that it was kept or, or retained mm-hmm. in some way. When I was talking to Tim Easton um, for the podcast, I did not realize that he actually had a degree or his his degree was in poetry really? from Ohio State University wow. or whatever, and he studied under some very you know, famous or well-known or, or well-respected uh, poets and, and authors, and that the f- songwriting and playing kind of mm-hmm. came later, but certainly seems like it would become a natural um, a natural progression, you know, right. to do that. Um, were you read to? Did your mother read to you? Yes. Mom read to us a lot. Um, we had a great library of books and my dad also just has a very, um, he was always making up stories. He had a, a series of stories called Cowboy John and Indian Joe, and they were just these characters. Cowboy John was from Kerrville, Texas. Yes, and oh. Indian Joe was from Albuquerque, New Mexico, and it was in the era of of uh, the Roosevelt era, and he FDR, and he or no Teddy Roosevelt, and these guys would just go because my dad's a pilot, so he flew all over the world. So we pick anywhere in the world, like. Beijing, China, or India, these far-flung places that were super exotic to us, and because he'd seen them, he would create the story in that setting, and they were in chapters. It was like a chapter book, and every day on the way to school, um, he'd tell us, you know, the next installment of the story, and so we were just riveted to it, but he was just making it up as he went. Did he ever publish anything? No, and I remember he actually came into my kindergarten class one time and told maybe the greatest Cowboy John Indian Joe story he ever came up with. There was this like beast that lived in the woods that the the president would send Cowboy John and Indian Joe out on these sort of secret service missions all across the world. And being so proud, you know, that he was telling my class the story, but none of them were ever recorded. They were just sort of, and we've lamented that, you know, after the fact, like, I wish we had these on tape because they were so good. But storytelling was just very much infused into sort of my upbringing. I felt very creatively, you know, free to explore creatively from a young age and we didn't even think about it. Um, but I actually was kind of later that I learned to read, um, I was later to learn to read than my big sister was. And my mom realized that I was just making up stories to the pictures in the books that I was talking very authoritatively. Like I was reading, but you are but, right I, now. Except, but I was actually just making up stories to the pictures. And I was more interested in doing that than I was reading what was written there. And so, um, once I did learn to read though, then of course I just loved stories. I was, I would much rather do that than play sports, whatever. I was a reader. I can so relate to wanting to have those stories retained as recordings. My, I've told the story before, but my mother was a big band singer, but her career was over before I was born. You know, mm. she got married and had children and she didn't perform anymore. Mm-hmm. And to my knowledge, there's no record or recorded record of her voice mm. um, out there performing. I just yeah. knew her to sing around the house, you know, occasionally and were told by other people that she had this amazing voice and that she could sing and right. she, she really could command, you know, an audience and everything. And I, I never got to witness that. And I, one of the reasons I'm doing this podcast and doing the radio show, besides my love of the music and wanting to um, promote the artist, is to preserve my, my love and my passion mm. for my son and the grandchildren that aren't here yet. 
I love that <laughs> because uh, I, I'm so yeah. sorry that I didn't have that with my my own mother. And yeah. so um, we don't realize when we're growing up, you know, what a resource our parents really are or what um, what the long-term effect is going to be right. on how they how they raise us, how they read to us, how they sing to us, you know, how they, they introduce us to art and take us to museums and field trips and camping, you know, and Mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff. Um, so you've been leading this lyrical life Mm. from the beginning. Mm. So it seems now to me that this phase that you're in Mm -hmm. right now is totally normal. And, um, to be expected and to be encouraged and nourished in that way. But it's such a physical life, Hmm. you know, it's true. It's, it's not just mental and artistic. It's a very physically demanding Mm -hmm. life. Um, so how do you address that? I mean, are you cognizant of your nutrition and your rest and all that kind of stuff? Because your voice um, is so pristine and so clear. Mm. Um, you must be taking care of yourself. I know when I'm not very quickly. Yeah, it's evident. I think that is interesting, you know, when you're, and there's lots of jobs that your, you know, physical well being is necessary for, you know, me- the mental and physical well being is necessary to you being able to perform your job. Well, but I am much more mindful of those things. Um, now that I've started touring and, you know, Stasha and I went on sort of a preliminary tour last September, a year ago was our sort of launching point. When you went down to Tennessee. Yes. We Mm -hmm. just had the album release show, um, on my birthday of last August and then set out in September. Really, this is the one year anniversary this, uh, this week. And that was kind of just a 20 day tour, maybe just to get our feet wet with it and experience it. And I came back from that thing exhausted, just utterly exhausted physically, mentally. My voice was tired. I was just in every way spent. And it took me like a week to just get back to the point where I could feel like I was, you know, myself again. And so that experience kind of taught me, okay, there are certain things you've got to do and you've just got to make them happen like on tour. And it's harder to carve out time for solitude. For example, I'm a very, I recharge in solitude. I need my time to myself Mm -hmm. to regroup and, and kind of process what I'm experiencing and the creative process for me, I have to be alone. And so, um, just this last tour that we just came off of, I was able to implement a lot of these things I learned on the first go around and have a much more balanced experience. And it was a longer tour. And I came back feeling like I could have gone another week. Um, but yeah, diet's huge in that. Also resting my voice on the road. Like, well, you do having been your roommate in Montreal, <laughs> Folk Alliance, I, I know that you and Stash both have a routine or a regimen mm-hmm. where you do your vocal exercises. Right. He does his finger mm-hmm. exercises for the, um, yeah, warming up is key and that you prepare for every, um, performance Hmm. because if you don't um there's all kinds of inherent risks i do not understand how people like samantha fish or these people that are coming through knuckleheads Mm -hmm. that you know are on the road all the time Mm -hmm. i mean all the time they might take a few weeks off during the holidays right but they're on the road all the time i I don't understand what that does to your voice and your body and your psyche and everything else. So the fact that you are, you know, cognizant of it and have kind of been able to dip your toe in the water as it were. Right. Um, before you commit to, you know, a six month tour or something like that. I'm definitely still figuring that out too. I don't know how they do it either. I might understand at some point, but (laughs) do you feel that this career that you have or will have, is it destined or is it a matter of happenstance? Hmm. Yeah, I really, I really don't believe much in happenstance. I, I think, um, but I don't so much believe in destiny either. It's more kind of like in between of, I think. Do you ever wrestle with what's the point? Uh, not so much because I, I do think I understand what the point is. I mean, I think 
I think there's a plan for everybody Mm -hmm. and I think you can either choose to do it or not. Uh, But I think there's a thing that you're sort of like that your life is geared towards naturally and that there were years of my life when I was going against the flow of where I wanted oh, to, you know, boy, howdy do and, I know. <laughs> yeah. And so I wasn't allowing myself to go in the direction that I really felt like I was like, that was natural. And that wore me down to the point that finally I did, you know, which was music. You know, I finally did entertain that thought of, okay, well maybe music is just what I'm, it keeps bubbling up. Mm-hmm. It's the thing that I keep having to face. And so maybe I, maybe this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And, um, as soon as I kind of shifted course, it was just like the wind was at my back. Suddenly everything felt right. And so I think you can, but it takes, you know, an act of the will to be like, yeah, I'm going to do that thing. And so I, I feel like there's just, um, yeah, there's nothing, um, as difficult as this particular path is and as many question marks as there still are in my mind. I mean, I've only just begin begun to fill in some of the blanks, like in terms of career path, um, as, as sort of disorienting and scary as it is, um, underlying that is just sort of this conviction that it's, yeah, this is what I'm supposed to do with my life. I mean, this is feels right. Well, I think that what has always bothered me about that is that we as a consuming public or me, me as a, as a fan and not an Mm -hmm. artist, I don't understand why your work is not more valued in terms of the remuneration. You know, Mm. it's just such a struggle all the time. Mm. I'm nearly four decades older than you are. (laughs) And I have been around music and musicians and the Mm -hmm. artistic community for, you know, over 50 years and you all are not making any more money at a gig than people were 35 years ago, 40 Mm. years ago. And it seems like whenever there is a pathway to success financially, something happens in the universe to snatch it away, you know, like the, the not being able to, um, realize royalties or, or, Mm. or cash in on the number of spins that you have Mm -hmm. algorithms and all that kind of stuff. It just seems so inherently unfair. Mm. Um, and that is one of the reasons I'm passionate about supporting live music Mm. and, trying to make these connections where people right. have a house concert to play or have a listening room to play. Right, those enduring I, connections. Because I think that, that um, that's how it happened back in the old days. I mean, mm-hmm. when you're watching, I'm watching this country music series that Ken Burns is oh doing my on gosh, PBS right yes. now. Oh my gosh, yes. And I knew it was going to be great, and it is <laughs> Everything great. Everything But the absolute abject poverty that a lot of these people came from and what they had to overcome um, to be able to um, tour right. or to record or any of that kind of right. stuff, um, it was all about really, really hard work. But and these that's people came from backgrounds I mean, from really yeah. hard work. So it's just I'm working really hard at, at the music business instead mm-hmm. of plowing the field or picking the cotton or whatever yeah. but it's just it's a conundrum I mean I just yeah. I don't understand or have I have an appreciation for how scary it is mm. to embark on a music career or, or any artistic career whether right. it's sculpture or painting you know visual arts or whatever but it's absolutely necessary for us to support it because mm-hmm. it's what separates us from the animals <laughs> yes I think that struggle is good though. I think struggle is part. And from what I've seen of the Ken Burns, um, I actually missed the first episode, but I watched that. Like there's like a 25 minute trailer kind of breaking it down into Mm -hmm. different parts that that's kind of part of the beauty and the sort of grit of country music is that it's rooted in struggle. It's rooted in like real life human experiences and that there's a kind of power to that. Um, there's just a raw kind of power in that and that the struggle feeds and fuels the creative process. And so there's part of it that I actually love, um, because it generates a great deal of like, it's just fodder. 
Um, I haven't read the piece yet, but I will. My friend Craig Havikhurst from Nashville, who's a great writer and a great interviewer, has seen the whole series and has commented on it. And I haven't read it yet, mm -hmm. but the little snippet that I saw said that country music are the people's poems. Mm. I thought that was so... <laughs> I love... Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, don't think for a minute that there's not poetry right. and that there's and that the common person you don't right. have to be some erudite no um classically trained um scholastic to be able right. to write poetry country right. music is are the people's poems mm -hmm. and uh, i have the essence of i think it's yeah. absolutely essence do you feel like your songs are about you or the person that's listening hmm. and the reason i ask that is I read this interview by John Fulbright, which really surprised oh, me, where he said that it's never about him. It's always about the listener. Hmm. Really? You're writing for us out there. It seems like you're such an introspective, hmm. personal person. That's so, fascinating. And when I listen to your lyrics, it seems to me that it could be written in any time space by a woman at any, almost any uh, point in her life, mm. a grown woman, mm -hmm. you know, I'm sure one. Um, but I relate to your songs as if I had written, mm. you know, was capable of, of writing them. I I and I do that. like to write lyrics, but I don't hear melody. I just don't. If I ever got into that artistic bent, I'd have to get a partner that wrote the, <laughs> wrote yeah. the melody because I just don't hear it. I don't right. hear it as a ballad. I don't hear it as a waltz. You know, mm -hmm. I just, I just. I can write in, in meter and come up with things that rhyme and right. tell a story and all that, but man, the melody just isn't there. Mm -hmm. So when you uh, wrote Even the Sparrow, I think I heard you say it was your origin story, perhaps? Yeah, it was the first uh, song I wrote on banjo uh, that I still play, so it was kind of the first song that stuck, I guess. Um, and it came out really quickly. Just one morning, I was, it was the summer after college. Um, after I graduated college and, and do you mean orge original story or origin story? Do you mm, know what I mean by origin mm, story? Like the, that, that the germ, like the very the back beginning story. Generally, I think of an origin story as the backstory that a hero or a superhero mm -hmm. or a villain has, you know, mm -hmm. like Superman's backstory right. is he's from kryptonite and he right. came down to um, wherever and, and has this weakness for him. That's his right. origin story. No, I think story. of it as my origin story, um, as kind of a, just the message of that song to just the sort of th thematically and musically, it just kind of encompasses, um, just my launching point. But is it about you? Even you, you, the, even the sparrow talks about even a sparrow has a home. Mm -hmm. So are you talking to somebody else? Or are you talking about when you? I wrote the song? That's actually a, a funny thing to ask because I was just thinking on this the other day. Because I listen to that song all the time. And think, Should you <laughs> talking to somebody yeah, about I, somebody? Or I wrote it. I wrote it to someone else. Um, but now when I sing that song, I sing it to my, I I'm singing it to myself because you're a in a different way. <laughs> yeah. Like I, my, my, uh, my conception of that song has changed over time. Um, and now I feel like, yeah, I relate to it very differently now than I did when I wrote it. And when I wrote it, I didn't even necessarily know where it came from. It just kind of came out mm -hmm. of the blue. It wasn't something I was channeling. trying to write. I didn't have a concept. I didn't have any lyrical fragments I was working with or a melody or anything, I just sat down and the song kind of came out. And so I didn't really know what to make of it. And it's been kind of an evolution. Um, that song it's, it's, there's a mysterious element to that one that I keep sort of, um, feel like I'm discovering it in new ways all the time. Well, um, I think it's one of those songs that as John Prine says, you know, make sure you're you're proud enough of them and comfortable enough with them mm. that you will be able to sing them 50 years from now because you might right. be at, at your age yeah. and starting out this young. Um, 
he's still singing the songs that he right. wrote 50 years ago and they're just as compelling and people relate to them just as much and I just wonder what it's like to have to write yeah. have to sing and the live song. with it really uh, just live with it for 50 years yeah. you know I think your relationship my relationship to a lot of my songs changes over time you know it's a new but experience that's a good thing. So, yeah it makes it feel fresh and sort of like you're it has layers well, you feel like you can put them away for a while you know if you need to absolutely and there's certain songs I kind of pull out of retirement because I because they suddenly resonate with me in a way that they didn't before um, but I, I write a lot of songs to the listener but I write a lot of songs um, you know just from my own personal experience uh, and they resonate because they're shared human experiences um, well I think that's it the trick is to make the listener mm, have empathy for mm, you or to feel empathy. right it was a man Time a photographer by trade Commissioned to document the war being waged He took to the battlefield with his camera and glass plates and Made a model what he saw of the war in blue and gray When the war was over Turned to green He packed those plates Away in crates to forget What he had seen When a tree came through The greenhouse roof And with glass and short supply He unpacked those crates And used those plates To build the roof aright and As a fruit spawn Of the field Made fertile by decay Sun shines through the wreckage and lends life to the clay. The plants below begin to grow and they reach up for the day. They thrive beneath the shelter of land of blue and gray. I was listening to a song by this new artist that uh, I've come to know through uh, the kids that went to Americana Fest last week, Emily Scott Robinson. I'd never heard of her before. Mm. She has a very personal song called The Dress. Mm. And it's about a, a real experience of her being sexually assaulted and wow. this a dra the dress that she wore and how she, you know, buried it and, you know, was it because of the dress that had happened? It was a mm. you know, the, so it's a very, very personal song. Wow. But as we all know, most of us females um, have experience with, you know, um, assault or molestation or whatever so that they can relate to that song. It might even trigger, you know. Right. Um, but I think that's the trick right. for you as a songwriter. If you're writing stuff that's really personal, right. the trick is to make the listener feel empathy for it or you. Exactly. Anyway. And that's the thing that I find so fascinating about like writers like Guy Clark and, and Chris Christopherson and like there's such a, and John Prine, um, there's such a specificity to their lyrics. Like I remember you saying one time, I don't remember where this was, but that Dublin blues mm -hmm. was sort of what unlocked Americana music mm -hmm. for you. Mm -hmm. And that song the first time I heard it, I have a very strong memory of the first time I heard that song and certain specific images like the Spanish steps and the mad dog margarita and like oh. very specific vocabulary that he uses, but that I wish I was in Austin. I always <laughs> wish I was in Austin. And I've been to the chili parlor bar and I've had a mad dog margarita and it's God awful. <laughs> but that you can like throw and that those are sort of as a listener, you latch onto those very specific details but they don't isolate you it just that you can still have this like strong connection uh even when the details are maybe so specific that they don't pertain to you individually um that they're memorable and they transport you to a specific like time and place and experience and there's a there's just a that's a that's a gift to be able to do that to toe the line well and they can do that Guy Clark could do that, but then he was also open to collaborating with other people yeah. and wrote some great songs with right. Daryl Scott and Berlin and finding and that Sean. shared language yeah. and, you know, yeah. and okay, like, uh, I'm having trouble with this song guy. Can you help me with it? Mm -hmm. Sure. Come on over to the house. And 
we'll get high and finish the song, you know? Yeah, that's, that's uh, the whole co-writing thing is just so fascinating. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't, I, uh, I don't know how the music row writers do mm. it. You know, they kind of go in nine to five every day, and it's their job, right. you know, to write music every day. Um, I've, I've read uh, Amy Spies is going to be one of my subjects next month. Oh, that's going to be great. And uh, she didn't want to be a music row writer. You know, mm -hmm. she wasn't really sure where that was all going to go, but she knew more what she didn't want to do than mm -hmm. what she well, did. Well, it's more helpful sometimes you know, than anything. What she did want to do. Um, are there some songs out there you wish you'd written? <laughs> oh, there's plenty. Yeah. I mean, do you hear a song? It's like, God, I wish I'd written that. I do. I should make a list of those songs and I should cover them. You know, uh, I, I have some homework for you. Okay. Um, Corey Morrow and Pat Green, who are Texas singer-songwriters that are considered godlike huh. in Texas, have a CD they did together called Songs We Wish We'd Written. Mm. There's about 14 or 15 of them on I there. I love that. And one of them is John Prine. And there's a guy. I mean, they're great yeah. songs, but they do their own take on them. I love that. And it is a great CD. And mm. I play it on my radio show, songs from it, all the time. In fact, there were a couple on there that I, honest to God, thought, well, I thought that was a Pat Green yes. song. Or I thought that was a Glory Morrow song. And no, it was Steeler's Wheel from 1967 or something like that. So, yeah, do yeah, that. I love that. It's, it's a, I mean, it's not so much Those are the covers. ones you should sing. I mean, yeah. they are covers. Mm -hmm. But it's, With a different it's also songs that you, she's going to want you to patter. Oh, hello. Um, sorry about that. No. Uh, whenever there's a dog present, I'm more content. So <laughs> she, uh, she and I have bonded. I, it's, she's now my dog. She tolerates Danny, but she's my dog. Oh my um, I wanted to, uh, talk to you about being female mm -hmm. and doing this. I know that, um, uh, Una Walking Horse uh -huh. went on a kind of a tirade not too long ago about quit uh, quit labeling everything as you know female singer songwriter circle or you know female mm -hmm. this or male that you know the pronouns mm -hmm. shouldn't matter or I'm a songwriter I'm a this or that and uh, I mean I understand where she's coming from I really really do but. As someone that has some vintage mm -hmm. on me, I also feel it really important to support women and to right. uh, try to level the playing field a little bit because mm -hmm. you, you know you know this if you've played any festivals at all, which I think we have. we have started to. Yeah. They're just the women aren't on the bills and they are completely ignored by mainstream corporate radio. I mean, it's a joke. Until this week, when the High Women, which is Randy mm -hmm. Carlyle's project, broke Billboard Top Ten. Yes, right? yeah. they're number one. They've got number one everything, awesome. and it's it's an amazing work. And uh, so I started seeing posts on Facebook from male artists talking about, you know, it really is a really great album. It's really listenable. Songwriter, yeah. So you're surprised? Why? Why is this? Why is this even an issue? Mm. Why are we even talking about this? So what do you think? What's, yeah. what's your take on it? Do you does My it bother you when it, you say, "Oh, I'm I'm part of a female singer singer songwriting round," or when female is attached to a description mm -hmm. of you? I guess. I mean, I am a woman, so I. But I don't think, I think about myself more in terms of a songwriter than I do about my gender. Gender. Yeah. yeah I mean, that's just, I don't think about, I don't think about that so much. I just do what I do and I don't think about if it's, um, outside the box or inside the box or, um, I don't know. I, I, I appreciate, um, yeah, I think every, we, women want to be treated as, you know, as um, they want to be seen for the fruits of their labors, you know, seen for what they're able to uh, judge me on my works, you know, I mean. And, yeah, but and, you, gotta, you have to be given a, 
a chance, you know, a fighting right. chance. I, yeah, absolutely. I went to that festival out in Red River. There wasn't mm-hmm. one female on the bill. I mean, really? Right. And it's 2020 almost, and there's not right. one female artist on this bill. Right. Are you freaking kidding Because me? I know there's a million incredible I could name you five women off the top of my head right. that should be here right damn now. Exactly. Um, I guess my feeling is I want someone to give me an opportunity because I'm good at what I right. do, not because I'm a woman. We I don't need Lilith Fair. Right. I shouldn't have to do Lilith Fair point. 2.0 <laughs> you know it should it's it just shouldn't have to be yeah. that way um but i think it's it very ironic i did ask i have asked male songwriters mm-hmm. chad elliott and i had this because i don't know more of a road warrior than him you know he mm-hmm. does over 200 250 shows a year he's on the road all the time mm-hmm. i said do you ever come across female artists that are traveling alone you know like mm-hmm. you do um I just it's a it's obviously a safety right. issue. There's a, yeah, there's we a have to worry to about things that you don't have to worry about. So I couldn't just go hitchhiking. Yeah, yeah, like the guys do. Yeah, um, she, he said. I think he mentioned Susan Gibson, who's a singer. Yes, she, who I, who wrote she, "Wide Open Spaces" and who I cried as she sang me that song in Red River, New Mexico, where you just were. Yeah. last January. She's got a She's new amazing. album. I just got that I haven't listened to yet. But he said, "Yeah, she, I was playing a show and Susan rolls up in her van <laughs> or whatever, and her dog and she comes out and she's got. I mean, she's an amazing lady. She just." is a road warrior. Yeah. So is this Emily Scott Robinson I was talking to mm-hmm. before. She's done over a quarter million miles by herself. Yeah. But she's paid a price. You well, know, and it. you so, have to be vigilant in a different way and you just have to have, um, yeah, certain... It's a, just a lot of stuff we're dealing with. I mean, um, <laughs> I was listening to Kelly Clarkson interviewing uh, Christina Aguilera mm-hmm. on her new talk show. And here they've both been in the business now for 20 years and have kids and everything. And they were talking about how hard it is to be a mom and do now all this. That, you know? Yeah, that's incredible. And the me. traveling and the touring. And, and Christina so took the gig in Las Vegas because she's got small kids now. And yeah. she, well, she got played a lot of money. <laughs> but uh, no, just, that's it doesn't matter how, many, how much money you yeah. have. There's still only so many hours in the day. And only so much energy that you yeah. have to expend and and the guys don't have to deal with that they don't yeah it's it's not it's, it's okay different. for them to just take off and whatever well anyway i just uh, i wish we didn't have to still be dealing with it at the level that we do but i'm hoping that um yeah i guess the i americana have... the americana music community mm-hmm. is kind of uh, and to, I think, a lesser degree, the Folk Alliance is, is paving the way for some gender equality. Mm-hmm. I mean, everybody that was nominated for Artist of the Year was female um, Wow! this year at Americana. And, um, yeah, and, and I don't think that it's... I honestly don't think it's not fair that the, they were the best yeah this I year, want, the, the best should be the, the music should be was, the best and and i feel like should be rewarded i don't know i feel like i've actually been given a lot of opportunities um i think there's women who feel like they have been who who have been discriminated against and who um you know have had had these experiences that um where that's been very evident. And I feel like I haven't necessarily encountered that on my own, but I'm also new starting out at at this and Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm still, there's a lot I'm going to experience and learn that I haven't yet, but, um, I don't have like a personal bank of, of experiences where I feel like I've been, um, discriminated against. If I have, I haven't, I haven't seen it. I'm glad to hear Um, (laughs) but I know it happens and I know, yeah, I think everyone should just be, uh, it shouldn't matter. It shouldn't matter what color you are or what gender you are or what, if, if, if you're good at what you do, like we should be acknowledged for that and sort of given opportunities based on, on that. And, um, but I appreciate the efforts being From made your to lips give women. To God's so. ears. Yeah. Uh, speaking of someone who's really, really good uh-huh. at what they do, Stosh. Yeah. Haney. He is. Um, what an amazing human being he is. So talented. I, um, when I listen to an album for the third or fourth or fifth or hundredth time mm-hmm. or whatever, I, I try to listen for different things, mm-hmm. you know, and be more aware. And so 
this last run through of your music that I've been listening to for the last week to get ready for our mm. conversation today has been all about just listening to him mm. and what he brings to the table yeah. um, for you. And it's another voice. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's another, it's, yes, it's another instrument, but it's also a very complimentary and clear and cogent mm-hmm. voice. Mm-hmm. And how lucky. Yeah. Or fortuitous or whatever right. word you want right, to use. Right. That you found each other at the Westport Saloon that night. I know. Um do you talk about that between yourselves? About Oh for sure. Just how crazy it is that we're you know, are where we are and um so yeah, a year ago is when Stosh left his job at the health department and uh set out on the road with me. And so it's kind of the one year anniversary of taking that leap and which was huge of him to do. Um, I think it's a little bit more in my nature to kind of fly by the seat of my pants and, and figure things out as, as I go. And well, it sounds like your family would be really supportive. Too, yeah. And my, it was a safety both of our families are, are super well, supportive, but yeah, I mean, it took a different kind of leap of faith for him because he's, you know, just a different creature. He's sort of, um, you know, likes his routines and things and, and has had to really sacrifice a lot personally to, to, uh, come with me down this path. So is he more disciplined in his practice habits or his, uh, I don't know. You know what I mean? I mean, I saw him do the, all the finger exercises and Mm -hmm. stuff like that. And, but you do all the vocal exercises as well as do you, how much time do you actually rehearse together? Um, because so, it almost seems effortless and that it's, that it's, uh, what's the word? Spontaneous. Mm, well, there is playing. a lot of, uh, there, there are certain songs that are just improvisational by nature and they sound different every time. Even the Sparrow is one of those songs. Mm-hmm. Um, I do different things vocally. He does different things on, on, on his violin solo on that song. And so, and there are certain ones that it's better left that way, you know, that you don't nail it. It doesn't want to be nailed down. It wants to have this sort of spiritual energy that changes from... I think that's really apparent in your vocals because mm-hmm. you you take one note or one word and mm-hmm. it goes up and down and all around and backwards <laughs> and forwards. And you can't remember that from time to time. It's got to be just kind right. of however you're feeling. I mean, that's how it comes yeah, across to me. It's kind of the beauty. It's just being able to let the, go Yeah, she recorded it this way, but I don't know that it necessarily <laughs> sounds like that every time she sings it. No, which is why recording can be hard because you are sticking it down to, you know, this is the way we're going to play it for the album and that it's going to get spun on the radio and it's going to kind of live on in this form. And I like the idea of a song evolving over time. And there's things we recorded, um, you know, a certain way on the album that we don't play that way anymore. And certain songs kind of settle into a way they want to be, you know, certain songs are just a little bit more cemented and it's like, yep, that's the best version of, of that song. And, and it's probably do it was the way. first take. Stosh brings so much to the table. I mean, we practice individually, um, a lot. And a lot of times when I'm back on from, you know, now that I'm back from tour and I've had this little gap, I'm spending the bulk of my energy writing and polishing new things to bring out on the next leg. And that's something I have to do on my own. And then I bring it to Stosh. And so we'll have sometimes like a practice session that's just workshopping new material. And, and I'll tell him what I'm hearing. You know, a lot of times I'll have a lick in my mind that I want him to play and that, um, and then he'll kind of interpret that and fit it in and, um, sort of, uh, you know, we'll, we'll arrange together, um, and, and then rehearse, uh, together. And then before a show, you know, the day before a show, like this afternoon, we're going to get together and, uh, just kind of run through a set list of tomorrow's show and try to bring in some new things that we haven't played in the past couple weeks and just kind of work through that so that we it's fresh and and nice and um, just fresh in our minds. Well, I burn the candle down to the wick. I'm cutting the knife to the quick and I haven't even made it to the heart of it. But she's watching everything I do. She sees me moving on down the line Past every mile marker and highway sign She's a skinny little devil, my lord How she shines the light of that finger near moon 
Does he do all the driving? No. In fact, I'm... I'm a better long-distance driver. Yeah. I can go, like, yeah, I love to I drive. I drove to and from Ohio by myself for years, 11 <laughs> hours, and it's been, that's been one of my adjustments is to share the drive. Totally. I, that resonates with me a lot because I, I do a lot of riding on the road when I'm by myself. I can't do that when there's another person in the car. Uh, but I'm, I'm good at the long distance, like marathon driving and just getting in the zone. And Stosh is good at, at the abrupt, like city driving. Driving, oh my gosh, that's nap, a match and I hate that. Yeah, I'm <laughs> I am a nightmare like... behind the wheel in a city when there's traffic and stops and starts and people coming at you from all directions and pedestrians and just like it's overstimulation yeah. and I just get really stressed. But he is good in crisis mode like that, and you just put me on a highway for eight hours and I'm just cruising and I can do that all day and all night. Well, that may be one of the ways that we're alike, but I think one of the ways that we're very different is that you are an introvert that is able to get up on the stage in front of thousands of people <sighs> and perform. And I am an extrovert socially, but... Which is great for... I mean, I can't imagine you doing what I you do without being... But I cannot... To ask to be MC, to MC a show or to perform like at an open mic... No way, Jose. I have seen it's you not... MC before, and you're great oh, at it. Oh, my goodness, but I <laughs> I just die. I just die beforehand, and uh, and mm. it's, it's getting to the point where I get really worked up before these conversations huh. as well. I mean, I I was so worked up before I, I sat down with Randy Foster. I thought Danny and I were going to have our first fight. Oh. <laughs> you were like, man, if you're driving me crazy... <laughs> This is, he's just a guy, you know, it's no, it's no big deal, but I, I'm an extrovert socially, but then I don't want to be a performer. Mm. I mean, when I do a radio show, it's just me at six o'clock in the morning, generally by myself behind the, the, mm. the microphone. And I'm just almost like talking to myself. I, right. I don't really even try to envision who's out there. I just, I'm, I'm getting, it's all about serving the music, you know, right. and that's not about you know, my own personality or anything. Mm -hmm. So we're kind of opposite in that way. Yeah. I, I don't, that's, that's I don't want to be a performer and I don't want to get on stage and I don't want to, um, well, I don't, yeah, I don't necessarily, uh, like that all the time, all the time <laughs> either. I mean, I, it's part of my job and it's part of, um, and I've come to enjoy it in a different way, but yeah, I mean, so, for a long time I didn't. What's next? You're going to go on tour. You're looking at mm -hmm. recording studios because it sounds like you've got a bunch of material in the bag. Yeah, we're going to hit the road next week and head east. And we're still, I mean, that's one of the hard parts about starting out touring when you don't have, you know, these established routes that you've done um, and where people know you. Mm -hmm. And and so you're just trying to, you're literally building Trial those roads. And so, um, you know, the last tour was really great. It was 27 days and we played probably 24 of the 27 days. We did a bunch of radio stuff. We did, um, a good mix of, you know, house concerts and listening rooms and festivals and some bars. And, uh, but it all came together, you know, like the week of, and it all finally gelled after months of, you know, sort of, uh, doing the, the legwork, it gelled the week we left. And then a lot of the things we ended up playing were just kind of falling into place in real time on the road. And that's the way this next tour is going to be as well. So I still don't really know, um, you know, what our itinerary is. It's just kind of unfolding as we speak and, um, things are starting to fall into place, but it's, uh, you're not using a booking agent yet. Al Berman, it, my manager, he's mm -hmm. booking. And so he's both, he's gosh, just like total game changer having him, uh, on that team. Folk Alliance was a game changer. Wasn't Folk it? Alliance was, I mean, yeah, just having the whole team, you know, and, the, and we're going to have to get you, get you and Kelly, piano Kelly and banjo Kelly. We got to do a show somewhere. <laughs> I know knuckleheads. That would be fun. That'd be fun. It would be fun to do it there, but also, you know, there's some great new, uh, the Alatha Library is going to have a great new performance mm -hmm. space. It seats about 300 people with really good. Oh wow! Resources. That's, that's a really good idea. I think you should yeah. do a series of them. I'll no, talk I can't to tell you how many <laughs> how many times your name comes up in a conversation. Just because that was such a pivotal juncture when you did the show with me and Kelly. 
and uh, I, I brought to us together and, and that. we met for the first time and met Al for the first time and uh, it was a seed that was planted and that has blossomed into this management relationship and, and really they're just such close uh, friends now they're really um, more like family so it's just it all started though that day in the studio with you so well, you have I, impacted my life I in a significant have, way. Have, well, thank you so much. I, I uh, your connector. I thought it was a natural. I mean, I I was not worried about there being any conflict or mm. conflicts of interest about it because the music is is not alike. I mean, it's not similar. I mean, it is. Yeah, it's you know, it's kind of roots Americana, music, but, but yeah. it's the aesthetic when you listen right. to it is completely different. Exactly. And she, having talked to her many times over the years, and we're talking about Kelly Hunt with an EY, mm-hmm. she considers herself or wants to be considered a songwriter. Right. You know, a lot of people may think of her as, you know, a soul singer or a piano mm-hmm. player or whatever, but she, I believe, wants to be known primarily as a songwriter and mm-hmm. she writes amazing right. songs. Yeah. So it was only it just seemed like a natural thing to do to me to get you two together and I think that uh, well it felt natural it felt natural yeah that's why you should do a show yeah that would be really fun like a fundraiser or something I don't know that's a good idea we do we do need to do that I'd love that well um promise me that as this unfolds and you go up and down the mountains (laughs) because you know there will be valleys. Oh, yeah. You know, I'm here to tell you. For sure. <laughs> there will be that you'll come back and talk to me and we'll keep having conversations. We'll mm. just add add them to the, the mix. But uh, we should go get some lunch. That sounds good. Yeah. Right. Thanks for having Thanks, me. Thanks, Kelly. It's good to talk to you. It's 10 and the stakes are high and the battle is raging there's not a soul on my side i said in front on to take my part cause the fight is long and the night is dark come on now we're gonna have to push hard if we're to make it to the other side by and by oh by and by oh you know you gotta take one little battle at a time Getting just a little bit closer each day We'll move right along on the wings of faith Come on now, we're gonna make it all the way to the glory land Left inside 